So it's great to be with you this morning. Um, we are going to be looking, like Mark has, has said, at Psalm 33 together. Um, so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Psalm 33 with me? Or if you've got it on your phone, switch it on. Um, before we read, I just want to add my um, thanks to everybody um, on behalf of, of myself and on behalf of my grandparents for all your prayers this week for Mark. Um, yeah, saw him yesterday and he's doing well. Hopefully he's up in time to watch this morning. Um, so yeah, thank you all very much for your prayers. Um, they're both they're both doing well. So let's read Psalm 33 together, starting at verse one. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your word. Thank you that as we read and as Mark has already said, your word is right and true. Thank you that we can read it and we can learn so much from it. And Father, today I pray that we would learn more of your word as we go through this psalm together, that we might understand more of who you are and ultimately come to know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. So for any children or young people or adults watching this at home, this might be helpful for for anyone. We've done this before. Today we're going to be thinking about, as Mark has said, praising the Lord, particularly singing praises to the Lord. And the psalm explains why we do that. And so if you want to have a go at this, you can do an acrostic that says praise the Lord down the side, if you can see that. And then as we go through the psalm, I want you to come up with a word or a phrase for each letter with a reason why we praise God. So children, young people, adults, if you want to have a go at that, it might be helpful for you just to think about praising God and why we do that.
So in our psalm today, the beginning and the end express two ways which we should be worshipping God, starting, as we said, with bringing songs of praise to God, and then at the end we have a declaration of our hope and trust in him. While the body of the psalm shows us exactly why we should be responding to God in that way, as we have this incredible description of God's majesty and his sovereignty. And so the psalm begins, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. And the start here echoes the end of Psalm 32, which David spoke about last week. Psalm 32 verse 11 says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. So we start today where we finished last week with a call to come and praise God. And as we see in verse 1, it is fitting to praise. It is fitting to praise God. It's fitting because he is worthy of our praise and it's fitting because we were created to praise him. And there are lots of ways that we can praise God, but the psalm here focuses in on praising God with music. And so what is it about music? What is it about taking our words and putting them to song that is so powerful in praising God? Well, God gave us the gift of music and he clearly wants us to use it. All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. In the New Testament, we're commanded twice to sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. And so we sing for many reasons, one of which clearly is because the Bible tells us to. But singing is good for many reasons. For one, it helps us to remember, it helps us to remember the words we're using to praise God and the reasons we have for praising God. I love sitting in the, uh, in the study at church when the Alzheimer's singing for the brain group meet in the church hall. I love listening to them sing, it just, it makes me smile. But they meet to do exactly that, to sing because it's good for the brain and it helps us to remember. Which is why it's such a beautiful thing when we sing songs with such incredible biblical truths, because as we sing, the music helps us to remember and the music aids us in our praise. Singing also helps us to engage emotionally with the words that we're singing. This is what Jonathan Edwards, the theologian, not the triple jumper or the rugby player, had to say about emotions in praise. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music. But only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And here's what Bob Calflin of Sovereign Grace Music says. Singing can help us take more time to reflect on the meaning of words. It can stretch out words and phrases. It can allow us to repeat them or put space in between words. All these qualities can help us engage emotionally with the words that we're singing. And he gives the, the example of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Saying, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, that's great, but... You put it to song and you stretch out the words to a tune that matches the words we're singing until we're singing out triumphantly, it is well with my soul. I was going to sing it, but I thought I'd spare you lot listening to me sing. Um, 
But it's powerful. When we stretch out the words, we can engage emotionally um, and it helps us in our praise. And also, singing can help us use words to demonstrate and express our unity with each other as the body of Christ. Songs enable us to spend extended periods of time communicating the same thoughts, the same passions, the same intentions, confessing our common beliefs together. And of course, at the moment, this is a strange thought because we are separated in body and when we can meet together now, we're not able to sing. But there's still something with the online services, and I hope this is the same for you, but it's uplifting for me to know that as I'm sat at home singing or listening and praising God, I know that I'm still joined in that with my church family who are watching in lots of different places and still doing the same. And though we may not be able to sing in person when we meet together, as we reflect on a song, as we listen to words, we can rejoice, we can sing in our hearts, even if not with our voices. In the New Testament, Paul talks about singing with his spirit, singing from his heart. And we can still do that when we meet together, even if not with our voices. Verse 3 says, sing to him a new song. Words that we hear in a number of other psalms. And this could sound like quite a strange phrase. Does it mean that we have to write a new song every time we sing to God? Or does it mean that we can't sing anything written pre-2010, that all Charles Wesley hymns should be sung no more, and it should be Phil Wickham and Philippa Hannah only? Of course not. It doesn't mean that. David doesn't mean that we need a freshly composed song every time we come to praise God, but instead... It means that we are singing as a response to a fresh experience of God's grace. As we've spoken about before, worship is our response to God's revelation of himself. And so singing God a new song is expressing our praise for a fresh revelation God has given us of himself. Through his word, through creation and ultimately through his son. His mercies are new every morning, and so our songs of praise are new as we respond to them. Play skillfully and shout for joy. When I read that play skillfully, the first person that came to my mind was Rod, with all the fiddly bits that he'd do on the guitar. But at KV, we're blessed with a whole host of talented musicians, as we are in the church nationally and globally. God uses talented singers and musicians around the world to point people to Jesus and to aid us in our praise. Play skillfully. Essentially, play or sing as best you can. God deserves our all. God deserves our best when we praise him. Praising God half-heartedly is not giving him the honour that he deserves. In the words of John Wesley, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep but lift up your voice with strength. So we're called to come and praise God in song. And then as we come to verse 4, it starts with the word for, which essentially is saying you should do this because. You should praise God, you should sing joyfully because. And then we're reminded by the psalmist what God is like and that we have so much reason to praise him. 
And we're shown what God is like. We're shown his character with a focus on three things. And we're going to focus on these three things just now. We hear about the word of the Lord, the plans of the Lord, and the eyes of the Lord. The word of the Lord, the plans of the Lord, and the eyes of the Lord. And these three things we see in the psalm, they show us who God is and why we have so much reason to sing his praises. So I hope and pray that for all of us, these words of the psalm will fill us with such awe and wonder of who God is that we can't help but respond with hope and joyful praise. So the word of the Lord, which we see is described in terms of its character and its power. And we see that its character and its power is the same as that of the God who speaks it. Verse 4, his word is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. An amazing description of God's word and his character. And we can't separate the two. As we see in these verses, God's word and his character are so closely linked. We can't say God's word is like this and God is like this because his word shows us what he is like. Verse 6 shows us the power of God's word. By his word, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God's word, which is right and true, is the same word that spoke the world into existence. God's power clearly displayed through the creation of all things by his word. So in these verses, we see how the character of God, his nature as a loving, faithful, righteous creator, is displayed through his word. And incredibly, we have God's word in our hands. And so, of course, we should be praising him for all the riches in there because God reveals himself through it. But as Mark has picked up on already, if we fast forward to the New Testament, we read in John's gospel that Jesus is the word made flesh. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And a few verses earlier, we read, as Mark read, um, that God's, that through Jesus, God's word, the world was created. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, which echoes verse six in our psalm today. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So where we said earlier that we can't separate God's word and his character because his word shows us his character. Well, Jesus, God's word made flesh, shows us the completeness of God's character. Never have God's faithfulness, righteousness, justice and unfailing love been seen more clearly than in Jesus. And so if we want to know what God is like, then we look at Jesus. Jesus, God's word. Like father, like son, as Graham says. And as we sing, Jesus, God's righteousness revealed. So as we look at Jesus and we see what God is like, our response can only be to praise him. It is through Jesus that all things were created and it's through Jesus that all things are sustained and hold together. As we read in verse seven, he gathers the waters of the seas into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Not only did God create all things through Jesus, but he sustains all things. Even the powerful sea is held in its place by God. 
And so our response is not just to praise, as we see in verse 8. We are called to fear God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the earth revere him. Because of who God is and what he's done through his word, we should submit to God in awe and reverence. And notice the word all, which is repeated there. This isn't a response for some. This is a response for all. For those reading the psalm, the original audience, this would have meant not just Jews, but Gentiles. This is a response for everybody. Let all the earth fear the Lord. So we praise God joyfully and we submit to him because of his word. The next reason we're given to praise God is because of his plans, the plans of the Lord. Verses 10 and 11 remind us that people's plans, the plans of the nations, are futile and will be thwarted by God, while his plans and purposes will stand forever. I'm sure lots of us so far this year will have become familiar with plans being cancelled. COVID-19 has affected lots of the things that we would have liked to do, holidays, meals out, time with family and friends. And this just reminds us that we are not in control at all of our plans. In fact, we're not in control at all of our lives. But that is a good thing, because if we were in control, we would just mess it up. And we have messed up. But God is sovereign and God is completely in control. He knows what's best. So we need to be submitting to him and to his plans. Because nothing can stop God's plans. No virus, no person, nothing can, nothing at all can get in the way of his plans and his purposes. In Psalm 2 we read, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the verses in our psalm remind us that these plans, the plans of the nations, will be frustrated, while God's plans of covenant love will be fulfilled. And this is why we pray, God, your will be done, and why we often finish prayers with, in Jesus' name, because what we're doing is declaring that in everything, God knows what is best and his plans will come to be. Proverbs 19:21 reminds us of the same truth. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And although it can be hard when we see in this world evil plans succeeding and perhaps people prospering through evil actions, this psalm reassures us that evil will not have the last word. Even if temporarily they seem to be succeeding, their plans will be thwarted. Verse 11 tells us that God's plans will stand firm forever. Which, if we look back at verse 9, is a phrase that we also see in reference to the world God created. He commanded and it stood firm. The world stood firm, God's plans stand firm. The plans of God are as firm and immovable as the world he created. We can have complete confidence that God's plans, purposes and promises will stand firm forever. And the nation or people who he has chosen in his perfect plan will be blessed. As we see in verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. And for the psalm writer, he would have been thinking about Israel, God's chosen people. But now God's plan of salvation has been fulfilled in Jesus, who left the riches of heaven to come and die for us. But he rose again so that we could one day go to be with him there 
So we can have complete confidence that when we put our trust in Jesus, when our God is the Lord, we too are chosen to receive an inheritance, a place in God's kingdom, eternal life with him. Romans 8 reminds us that those God chose, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And that is true for us because of Jesus. So we praise God because of the word of the Lord, because of the plans of the Lord. And finally, we praise God because of the eyes of the Lord. We read in verse 13, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Astounding verses. And I think we can read these verses in a couple of different ways. Firstly, these verses show us that God sees us, watches over us and cares for all that we do. Psalm 8 says, who am I that you are mindful of me? This God that the psalm writer has has described so beautifully, the almighty creator who is enthroned high above the earth, is not distant. He watches over us and cares about us. And again, repetition of the word all. This is a message for everyone. But we can also read this in thinking about God as our judge. He watches all who live on earth, considers everything they do. I think teachers have superpowers because I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. But I remember at school, the teacher would be writing something on the board or something like that. And I would be at the back of the class and I'd just turn to talk to my friend or something like that. And the teacher would say, Charlie, I saw that facing the other way, writing on the board. But somehow, teachers have superpowers. They seem to have eyes in the back of their head. They see everything. Parents are the same. You could be trying to sneak a biscuit out of the cupboard. Your parent could be in the loft, and they'd probably still shout down, I saw that. Parents and teachers, superheroes. But this psalm is telling us that God sees everything. Teachers and parents, they can't actually see everything. But God looks down, and he sees all that we do. Nothing we do, no thought, word or action is hidden from him because his eyes are on us. Which is a daunting thought because we know that if everything we've done, everything in our heart, everything in our mind is exposed, then we're in trouble. God looks at us and on our own we are helpless, dead in our sin, as Ephesians 2 tells us. And we read in verse 16 and 17 a reminder of just how helpless we are in keeping ourselves from death. Verse 16, a big army or a great strength is not enough to save. Verse 17, a horse, however strong, will never be enough to save us from death. No amount of men or military strength will keep you from death. Only God can save, which is the point David is clearly driving at. And the original audience reading this psalm would have known God's deliverance. They would have known his saving grace. The freeing of God's people from slavery, the provision in the wilderness, countless battles where God triumphed and saved. For example, in Judges 8, we read about Gideon, who with an army of 300 went up against an army of 15,000. And Gideon's men rooted the entire army. Having an army 50 times the size wasn't enough for this army to be saved. 
But does that mean that Gideon's 300 men were just too strong or that they had horses that were just too strong? No, it was because God was with them and only God can save. Verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Only God has the power to save and deliver David, Gideon and his army from death. But the phrase that we often use when we come to the Psalms, how much more, how much more can we say this that only God can save? This psalm was written hundreds of years before Jesus was around, but how much more can we say these words of praise and respond because of what Jesus has done for us? Because God's eyes are on us, we are delivered from death because Jesus took that death that we deserve when he died on the cross, but he was raised to life for our justification. God looks at us and he cares for us and he meets all our needs and he's met our greatest need, for a saviour in sending Jesus so that we can trust in Jesus and we can know confidently that we are delivered from death because God's eyes are on us and now when we're trusting Jesus when God looks at us he sees righteousness not because we are perfect but because we are in Christ and Christ is perfect we praise God because of his word because of his plans And because his eyes are on us and through all of this, his character is revealed. In verse 17, we read that a horse is a vain hope. Well, we don't have a vain hope. We have a certain hope in our salvation. So how much more can we be singing joyfully, playing skillfully and praising God because we know that it is only through the unfailing love of God shown in his son Jesus that we are saved from death and saved from sin. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so, verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. We rely completely on him. As the psalm goes on, He is our help and our shield. In any and every situation we find ourselves in, every single day, we always have hope. And that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Where it seemed we were were in a hopeless situation in regards to our sin, God has changed that through his son, through his living word. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. No amount of strength, no amount of good things we do can set us free. And if your hope is not in God and in his unfailing love, why not? The God, as we see in this psalm, the God who created the universe, whose perfect plans and promises stand firm forever, has made it possible for you to be saved into a relationship with him and have a certain hope of eternal life. We wait in hope for the Lord knowing that one day Jesus, the word made flesh, who died, rose again and is seated in heaven, will come back to reign and we will reign with him, that inheritance that we spoke of earlier. So as this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus, surely we can't do anything but sing praises to God and trust him completely. Verse 21, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust his holy name. 
And we rejoice not just in the good times, not just on the good days, but on the bad days as well. Because we don't sing when we feel like it. We sing because we know these things to be true. These things are true of God, whether we're feeling good or bad, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. So all the time, as this psalm says, we should be singing with joy in our hearts because we know what God is like and we know what he has done for us through Jesus. God has revealed himself to us, his majesty, his power, his mercy. So let's respond day after day with joyful songs and certain hope in his salvation. Verse 22. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your character. And thank you, Father, that you have revealed yourself through your word, which we hold in our hands, which we can read daily. And thank you, Father, that you've revealed yourself through the word made flesh, your son, Jesus. Father, you are faithful, you are loving, You are the only one with power to save and you have done that. You have made that possible through your son, Jesus. Thank you that through him we can be delivered from death. Help us to continue to trust in you each day, knowing that you are sovereign and that your plans stand firm forever. Thank you that we have a sure hope in Jesus of an inheritance, life everlasting with you. So, Father, help us to respond in joyful praise because you are worthy and help us to submit in awe and reverence to your awesome power. And, Father, again, in the words of verse 22, may your unfailing love be with us even as we put our hope in you. Amen.